Hello, welcome to Seeking God's Kingdom. This is Moses Gumadi and uh, we are in this series, Be Ye Transformed. This is the second lesson, Obstacles to the Service of the Lord. And uh, if you have not watched the first one, please do watch um, Why Do We Exist? What is God's Purpose? That's the first lesson uh, that we've already done. It's there here in the YouTube. Now, just to review what we have considered in the first uh, lesson uh, on God's purpose. We said that uh, the Lord has made us and sent us into this world to love him uh, and to build character, to serve him, to serve the Lord, to grow in his knowledge, to perform good works, and of course, to become like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are pretty fundamental and we've gone through them uh, a bit in detail in the first lesson. So this is the objective. No matter what you do, who you are, Christian or not Christian, even if you are not a Christian, the Lord wants you to have a change of heart, a repent, a repentant heart, change of mind and come to him to love him um, and to build your character, to serve the true and the living God, to grow in his knowledge, to perform the good works which God has foreordained, and, of course, to be transformed and to become like Jesus. Now, obstacles to the service of the Lord. Obstacles. What are the obstacles? I will show you six things. Not that this is a comprehensive list of obstacles, but... I have tried to summarize the kind of obstacles that uh, everyone gets in this world uh, into this uh, summary and they are interrelated as well and in fact uh, one of them is a predominantly strong one and in fact uh, it encompasses pretty much everything and we will see all these things. So let's begin with the first one which is ignorance. Ignorance is a major obstacle to fulfill the Lord's will and uh, an obstacle for the service of the Lord. We read in the book of Ephesians, those who are the Gentiles, the, those who do not believe in the Lord, who have not trusted in him, they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. They have been separated from God's life. Why? It is their own fault because of the ignorance. Which is why we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that it is God's will that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So the knowledge of the truth of the salvation is standing directly opposite to that of the ignorance that is in the hearts of men. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said when he died on the cross, before he died on the cross, um, he asked the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When they crucified him, that is when he prayed this prayer. They crucified him and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ignorance is deeply rooted in the hearts of men. Yes, they may be doing wantonly. Yeah, they may be having fun in crucifying him. They may be wicked. They are doing all kinds of things. Yet, the Lord Jesus Christ recognizes. He acknowledges the fact they are ignorant. Paul too. 
Paul, who was so educated, highly educated in the Torah, in the Tanakh, the Old Testament and the law of Moses, under the feet of Gamaliel. All the scriptures that Peter and Stephen have provided as a proof that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, um, and that he has risen from the dead and that he needs to rise from the dead and all those scriptures that they have provided, of course, were well known to Paul. He knew the interpretations, he knew the understanding, yet we read about him that he persecuted Christians. He was blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, and obtained mercy later on because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. Think about it. He was ignorant. The chief of sinners was ignorant. So is everyone. Okay. And therefore we read in the book of Romans chapter 11 that God will have mercy upon all. So that's a different topic. Now let's just move on. So the real thing is ignorance. That is the problem. Now, but what about the believers? Do believers uh, um, also are full of knowledge? No, certainly not. We too have our own areas of ignorance. Psalmist David himself, he, if you read Psalm 73, then uh, he says he was envious at the foolish people uh, and the wicked people. When he saw the prosperity of the wicked, he was envious. And he goes on to say later on in verse 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. He did not understand the truth of it as to why the, why the wicked prosper uh, until he went into the, um, into the sanctuary of the Lord. And then he recalls his experience and he says, how foolish was I and how ignorant indeed. Even a believer can be ignorant. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read uh, that as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. In your ignorance, your former state was uh, in ignorance and therefore doing the things according to your own lusts and ignorance. And it is quite possible that you can get into this mode again. And therefore, ignorance is the major obstacle. It is one of the key obstacles uh, for not knowing the will of God. You do not know what is the will of God. And the first lesson that we looked at, that you ought to do all these things, or you are you're supposed to do this, and that God has a plan and a purpose uh, in your life, etc. If you are ignorant of these, um, it is indeed an obstacle. That's the point. Right. So we come to the second uh, obstacle, which is external observances. Christians... Um, and even other, uh, you know, they be who believe in God, Jews, for example, they may not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ here. Of course, they believe on God, the God of the Bible. External observances are a big hindrance to the service of the Lord because some people think that by doing certain ritual and following certain timetable and doing this or that, they think that they are pleasing God, whereas their hearts are far away from him and the true service is not really rendered to him. You see, and they use, actually, sometimes Christians use uh, scriptures as a, uh, as, a, as a justification 
uh, for what they are doing for the external observances. For example, we, we read in the last lesson uh, from 2 Timothy that uh, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. We also saw that this process of going through this four-step process is to produce an outcome of good works that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto good works. That's the intent as we have seen in the last lesson. However, the meaning of the word doctrine is teaching the body of truth as we are now talking today as to what we ought to be, who we are and where is God and what is God and what does he want us to do, uh, what is his purpose, what is his will and how should we live our lives etc. Right. So it is about the teaching and that should result in the outcome. Um, good works which is one of the major outcomes of what we have seen in the last lesson. Instead I think sometimes as Christians we tend to make it as dogma, that we turn the doctrine into dogma, right? And sometimes we call it distinctives. Oh, you see, we are this group and we are distinctly, distinctively different from others because we do this particular thing because all others are wrong in doing the other way and we are correct. And that is our distinctive. Uh, for example, uh, the very good uh, group of Christians, uh, brethren, the Plymouth brethren, they call themselves uh, the very good believers. Of course, there's no doubt about that. And they have, they call, uh, they, 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 they use the phrase uh, uh, assembly distinctives, assembly distinctives. Well, some of them uh, cannot be really sustained from the scriptures, but that's a different matter. Look, external observances and rules that are not rooted in the scripture and even if they are rooted in the scripture but if you only end up doing for the external purposes and not really to produce the outcome that God wants you to uh, do then there is no point. So the true doctrine then, true doctrine, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What is the true doctrine? It is not about observances, uh, visible rules and activities and practices and keeping days. Okay, you can do that. I'm not suggesting by any means that uh, in your particular assembly or church or group that uh, you follow a certain practice. By all means, please do. As long as you do it as unto the Lord. If you do it for the Lord, I think you should do it. It's, it's not the point of right or wrong. How is your heart with respect to that? But really, the true doctrine is not about that. True doctrine is about the purity of heart and doing what is more important in the, in the sight of the Lord and living a holy life is far more important than these external rules and observances and, and rituals. Okay, I will give you examples from the book of Jeremiah chapter chapter 7. The Lord himself gave them the tabernacle. He told them to construct the tabernacle in the wilderness. Thereafter Solomon built the temple. And in the temple they used to offer the sacrifices. Uh, the law of Moses gives the list of sacrifices, the list of feasts, uh, and all the ritual and all the timetable and all the things that they ought to do. And they were given by God, no doubt. But for what purpose? There is an underlying purpose. And the underlying purpose was to bring your heart in subjection 
and to bring your heart in line with God's program rather than just doing these external observances for the sake of it. That is the point. And every external observance had a deep meaning and and, and the reason why they were given was because they would consider them and understand the truth underlying them and that would bring them closer to God. That's the real purpose. But instead, when they focus on the external observances, we read here, Jeremiah speaking to the children of Israel. Uh, and he says, Amend your ways and doing, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They stand in front of the temple and say, This is the temple of the Lord. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you ought to do this. Oh, you should not say this. You should not walk like this, etc. All those things are fine. But God is going to break down that temple. If you thoroughly amend your ways and doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, you see, these are more important interpersonal relationships. How do you treat others? How do you treat your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? Uh, do you, or do you oppress? If you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after the other gods. These other gods are obviously covetousness, which is idolatry, we read in the New Testament. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land. So, you see, it may be the temple of the Lord. Don't say temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. The Lord will root out the temple. That's the thing. And, 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 and the real thing is different. Matthew chapter 23. The Lord criticized the scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, he said. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy and faith. So should they pay tithe? Of course, yes, it was given to them. But that's not the real thing. What is the real thing? It's only on the surface. They need to understand why is it they were asked to do that. But rather, these people are focusing on paying tithe in every little thing, in mint and anise and cumin, everything. And they calculate everything and ensure that they have done it, but have omitted the weightier matters of the law. And what are their judgment? Mercy. Showing mercy when it is required. People use strict rules like this and measure it with a strong, you know, hard measurement and be hard uh, against other people, even their fellow Christians. And no mercy. They use a judgment, but no mercy. And faith, these ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. What you're doing is okay, do it. That's not the point. But the point really is there is a weightier matter. So, you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You are filtering out small ants or small um, gnats and swallowing a camel. That's the point. This is a major hindrance. Pharisees stood and prayed in front of the Lord and beating his own drum uh, saying, uh, Does, he said, it says there, uh, the Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself. He is praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, 
uh, or they are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican who is standing next to me. I fast twice in a day. I observe Lord's Supper every week. I don't miss the meetings. I go to the Wednesday meeting. Uh, all those things are fine. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So what's the point? The point is, look, whatever ritual, whatever timetable, whatever program, whatever practices that in your church you may be doing, please do. But do it to the Lord. Let us read Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. People have different understandings and we ought to respect that. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And we read there in actually Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, next to 5, 6, 7. If you read, you will understand that Paul's teaching was that whatever you do, do it for the Lord. If you don't do, don't do it for the Lord. The reason behind it should be for the Lord, not for your own ego. That's the point. In Romans chapter 14 verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Let us not judge one another in the matter of external observances and these rules and regulations. Sometimes, uh, you know, disputable from the scriptures. Different people have different opinions. And so let us not fight about them and don't judge other people. That is not God's will. And that is a hindrance in your own life to do God's will and to achieve the purpose for which you were brought into this world. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The conclusion being pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Be kind to people. Uh, be, um, be generous. Be hospitable. And live a pure moral life. That is the key as a Christian. Okay, we spend a good time on that. Third is the false priorities. False priorities. Is it time for you, said Haggai, through the Lord said through Haggai, to Israelites who have come back from Babylon and they were doing their own thing. They were building their own houses. They were making themselves comfortable. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house, the Lord's house, lie in waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So the priorities, do we put the Lord first or our own lives first is the point. And that is a major obstacle as well. And we all ought to build the house. The house of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3, we read that the foundation has already been laid. The Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation. Apostles have laid the foundation. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And so said the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Remaining things the Lord will sort out. But we have to seek Him first. Put Him first in our lives. Um, another example here, Elijah, the Tishbite, the prophet, he went to Sarephath uh, unto a widow 
because the Lord said so, that uh, he will feed him there. And he goes there and there was a widow and uh, she had a son and uh, she had only a little bit of a flour uh, and oil and she was about to make a small cake, uh, a, a piece of bread uh, for, for them both. And she said, we will die afterwards because we will not have any food any longer because of the famine. And Elijah tells her to that poor widow who hardly had anything, literally only for her and for her son, just a little bit to eat the last morsel that is left and look at elijah what he, he says to uh, says to her uh, sometimes you might think what audacity he says but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and afterwards after make for thee and for thy son seek ye first the kingdom of god the lord first and then others uh, next and uh, we ourselves lost as 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 the saying goes i think that is a very good thing to do people christians have obviously failed to do that we have examples in second timothy demas has forsaken uh, me and having loved the present world and matthew chapter 13 we read when we receive this word the scripture uh, as a doctrine the care of this world the, the word goes off he that is, uh, he also that received the seed among the thorns is he that uh, heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It chokes the word and becomes unfruitful. False priorities. Right. Fourthly, fleshy lusts. Fleshy lusts. 1 Peter 2.11, we read about fleshy lusts. Dearly beloved. I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts, which war against your soul. We will talk about what is the origin of these fleshy lusts and how to overcome them, etc. We have this five-part uh, program here in this, uh, in this series, Be Transformed. So I will address this subsequently. But remember, this is a hindrance. Flee also youthful lusts, Paul tells Timothy. That's the same thing. Ephesians 2.3 talks about the unbelievers. In the past, before we were saved, we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In the lusts of the flesh, it says, we had our conversation in time past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. It's the same thing. And finally, in 1 John 2, we read that all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and of course, the pride of life. Fleshy lusts. Lusts of the mind, the desires of the mind and the flesh. Results in the works of the flesh. The thoughts and the desires result in the works of the flesh, which are manifest. And what are they? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. It means divisions. Okay, not going against the creed. Okay, creed is wrong in some places. Not accurate. It may be right, uh, but not exactly accurate. You need to go by the scriptures. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Revellings, 
These are all the works of the flesh and they hinder our service to the Lord and they hinder us from realizing His will in our life. Sin nature, which is strongly related, in fact, it, it emerges from the sin. Sin, related, sin nature emerges from the lusts, as we will see subsequently later on. Sin nature. In Matthew 26, we read, The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. There is a part within us that hinders the other part. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then we might think, well, the thing that he hinders is only the flesh, but this flesh is not the body alone. Uh, it is also uh, mental, or it's in psychological, or it is spiritual in a sense, uh, and that uh, is, and that hinders our service too. Now, as, as I will show you, for example, in Romans chapter seven, Paul deals with this subject. If I then do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So the sin nature that dwells in us prevents us from doing the right thing. So if I do that which I don't want to do, or if I end up doing the things that I don't I want to do, for it is will for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. What is responsible for this? He says, sin that dwelleth in me. Sin nature is responsible. Finally, Satan. Satan hinders. Satan hinders. Paul said, 1 Thessalonians, wherefore we would have come unto you, uh, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hinders Satan's hindrance is through people, other people, and also through the mechanisms of this world, uh, which sometimes we need, and then that doesn't happen. Um, through the people, through the elements, Satan can hinder us externally, external hindrances. Okay, now, remember... Satan can hinder internally. How? By stealing away the word that is planted in your heart, in our hearts. Whatever we are reading now in this episode, in the previous episode, we know this is the truth and we know this is what we ought to do and he steals that. Meaning, we, we don't live in a consciousness of being con continuously aware of our purpose, aware of the scripture, but get into a different mode and mentality and do something else. Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is, this is more deadly manner in which the devil works, more than from external sources. The problem more than often lies internally, internally. And this is the reason why the, the be transformed uh, subject um, you know, if you if you think about it, this is one of the key things that you need to remember that, you know, in while in order to be transformed, we need to understand the problems with our with our own selves. Um, the wicked one taketh away. And how does the wicked one 
And, and that's the doctrine. We need the doctrine to produce the good works. And so he takes it away. How does Satan act? Satan acts through the person, through, through people, and including ourselves. And most, as I said previously, most of the times he acts uh, through our own person. You see, in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ came to Caesarea Philippi and he asked them, his disciples, who do you think, uh, who are the people saying that I am? He said, and they said, well, some people say it is John the Baptist. Some people think you are uh, Elijah. Or, uh, some people think you are Jeremiah or some other prophet. And then he asked them, what do you think that, uh, that I am? And Peter replied, a ground reply. Uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The Father has revealed great truth to Peter, which he was able to confess. And he said, On, on this rock, on the rock, bedrock of this truth, that he, Jesus, is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, gates of Hades or uh, Hades or uh, Sheol shall not prevail against it, the church. And then after a while, Peter tries to stop the Lord from going to the cross. He says, no, 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 these things should not happen to you. And what did the Lord say? A few verses down after that incident in Matthew chapter 16, he turned, the Lord turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. He's not calling Peter. He's saying calling him in Satan, Satanas in Greek. And it means uh, in Hebrew, this is a Hebrew word. It means adversary. It, it, it's the same word. Satan is an adversary. Satan is an adversary. And he calls him Satan. And so Satan works through our sin nature. In fact, I will show you later on, there is a strong connection between our sin nature uh, and Satan. And indeed, the uh, sum total of all the sin nature or sin put together, when Christ bore it on the cross, was compared to a serpent. Because we read in John's Gospel, chapter 3, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. We read in Romans chapter 8 that the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, he was made sin for us. And in Romans chapter 8, we read that God sending forth his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemned sin in the flesh. Sin was condemned. It's compared to serpent. That's the connection between sin nature and Satan. And so we've seen these six obstacles to the service of the Lord. And sin nature is at the core of it when we examine ourselves. You don't blame Satan because it says in uh, James, um, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay? So, Yes, devil acts through others and brings hindrances externally. But most of the hindrances are internal, as I said. And therefore, ignorance, external observances, false priorities, fleshy lusts, and even Satan acting in your own, per, in your own self is through the sin nature that exists within you. And therefore, that is the main obstacle to the service of the Lord. And in our next lesson, will look at the sin nature, how Christ 
has dealt with this sin nature upon the cross. And if we really understand what has happened on the cross, then we can overcome this and be victorious. Thank you uh, for your patience and listening uh, to this uh, lesson. And uh, I will come back to you uh, with the next lesson, uh, the third lesson. Until then, goodbye. Please do like uh, this video uh, and uh, do share this video with others uh, and subscribe so that uh, it may be passed to many people who will be benefited by this. And may the Lord bless these words uh, in your own life, in my own life, in the lives of many people uh, so that uh, we could do his will and bring glory to his name. Amen.